Hello, and welcome to another episode of Our Foundations. My name is Joshua, your host for this podcast, and today's episode will be focused on an update and letting you know basically a preview of what's upcoming for the next series, and then also I want to cover a few articles that I have come across over the past few months that directly relate to a lot of the things that we've talked about on this podcast. The first references the IMF and talks about things that I discussed on the Corruption and Conspiracy series. Then the next two are related to schools and education, which is a direct relation to the upcoming series, as well as references some other things we've talked about in other education episodes. So let's begin with where we are in the podcast. So these last few series that I'm doing in season one are no longer in the format of one related to government, one on money, one on education, then themes, then a case study. Instead, I'm doing whole series on, I did a whole series on government, and that was basically arguments against government and anarcho-capitalism and stuff, and that has themes and case study at the end like they all do. And then the next one was on blockchain, and that was roughly related to money, and that's the one we just finished up. So the following one that is upcoming in the next episode after this one will be the complete series on education. And like the other two, It is directly relating to alternative options and alternative movements that are going on and what potentially the future might hold, that kind of stuff. So the first episode will be related to alternative options within the public school system. So that's things like online schooling, charter schools, magnet schools, outdoor classrooms, STEM labs, vocational schools, that kind of stuff. Just all the different alternative options that are different than just a normal, regular, standard public education. So I'll talk about that in the first episode. The next one will focus on homeschooling and self-education. So what I'll do is talk about why someone might choose to consider education outside of a formal school school and what that looks like, why someone would choose that, why people may not want to do that. And then I'll go over some of the different methods and curriculum and types that people choose that are at least the most common. So I'll talk about things like just doing school at home, doing unit studies, going the classical education route, or Charlotte Mason or Montessori, or Waldorf, or unschooling, lots of different options there. And I'll talk about what all those are and what the benefits are, some of the negatives, why people choose those, why that may not fit very well, and what are some custom routes that some people go as well. So I'll go over all that in that episode. Then the next episode will be on college alternatives. So this will focus on lots of different things. Basically, what are your other options when you graduate from high school aside from basically going deep into debt and giving away four years of your life for a a very small amount of education, typically? And so I'll talk about what those other options can be, what that can look like, and maybe why someone may or may not want to consider not doing college but doing something else, even if they want a full professional career in a specific field. So I'll talk about that next. Then the themes episode will talk about some of the aspects of a full education outside of schooling. And I'll talk about specifically the role of nature, the role of technology, and potentially the role of relationships as well, and how all those factor in to an education. And all this stuff is definitely related to 
people in the education system, which would be younger people, but it directly relates to us as adults as well, because we can spot some of the areas that we may be lacking in, some of the aspects of our own education that we didn't realize were maybe not quite up to par, some of the potential that is there that we can still achieve and still seek after because education never ends, at least it shouldn't. And that is kind of the whole point of this podcast. If you are listening to this podcast, then you are someone that probably wants to learn a little more yourself and educate yourself. So there's more to it. It's not just listen to these episodes if you have kids. It's that we should all be aware of these different options, these different ideas and ideologies and theories and concepts and all this stuff so that we can not only relate it to children, but also relate it to ourselves and our past and our future and our own learning. So it's very important for all that stuff. And then for the final episode of this series, that'll be a case study. And since in the previous four episodes, I never talked about private education, I'll do a case study on two private options that are definitely in the alternative range, and that would be Montessori schools and Sudbury schools. Those are both very interesting, very different, and they have some really good philosophies behind how they teach and why they do things the way they do. So that will be the end of the series on education. And then after that, I'm really not sure what's going to happen because this is pretty much the end of season one. The rough plan was to do a final series at the very end talking about what the future may look like, what some potentials are, how we're trending, that kind of stuff. And I may do a series on that, but what I'm leaning towards for season two also relates to that concept as far as looking ahead to the future. And I'll do another update at some point during this next series or right after it where I'll talk about what season two looks like and what some options are to fill in a blank in between season one and season two if there are specific things that you guys want to hear about. And I'll give you some options. And if there's demand for it, then I'll do it. And we'll see where it goes from there. So that's roughly what we're looking at. And like I said, we'll get to that a little further during this next series or just after that. And I'll get into season two and that kind of stuff. So moving on to the articles that I found, the first one was about the IMF. The title was IMF to test Argentina's new leader. And so basically what I had talked about in the corruption and conspiracy episodes was that the IMF and the World Bank often use loans and money as basically leverage against countries and leaders and peoples and force certain regulations, force them to do certain things and put in place certain policies and this kind of stuff. And that's what they do is they basically use their loans as leverage to get their policies enacted in different countries, often third world countries that, you know, basically have no hope of repaying the loans anyway. And that's kind of how it works. Well, I found a good example of this recently. This came out of the Wall Street Journal. And basically, it's talking about Mr. Fernandez, who is the recent leader in Argentina. He is from the left-leaning Peronist nationalistic movement, which wants to increase sovereign control. And what they want to do is also stretch out these loans that they have. Now, the IMF has given them loans and has more money that they're planning on giving Argentina. 
but they are trying to dictate policy requirements before they will give the next round of money to Argentina. But this new leader, he ran on a platform of being a little more isolationist and promoting the nationalistic flavor that is going all around the world right now. And so he doesn't really want to submit to the IMF. Apparently, in a lot of places locally, saying IMF is like saying a cuss word. And basically, people hate the IMF so much, and they believe that it is the reason for a lot of their economic troubles and struggles and worries, and they blame it all on the IMF, and a lot of people don't like them at all. Hence, this man getting elected, who is very much someone that is working on the sovereignty of their nation over these worldwide organizations that are run by other countries and other people. Now, the problem here is that Argentina has many outstanding loans. They have had many economic struggles that have hit them over the past decades even, and they're really having a hard time, and they have loan payments that are coming up. And not all this is to the IMF. Actually, most of it is to other sovereign nations that they have borrowed money from and sold bonds to, that kind of stuff. And so they do have some debt to the IMF, but they have even more debt to other countries. But the problem is they can't pay on that debt unless they get this money from the IMF. So they kind of are trapped. And you ask, how did they get in this situation? Is it just because they're dumb? Well, to a degree, it's because they did put themselves in this situation and previous leaders did. And this one may not be any different. But Basically, Argentina has had just under 30 aid packages from the IMF, and they have defaulted on their sovereign debts eight times as a country. So they're not, uh, they don't have a very good credit score right now. And really, there is no reason why the IMF or anyone else should be loaning them money, except as a very risky investment in an emerging market. But instead, you have a worldwide organization, the IMF, that gets a lot of their money from central banks around the world, from first world countries that basically get their money through inflation and taxes. And all of this money is getting gathered up from all the peoples of all these other countries and given to a country that really does not deserve to have any money loaned to them. That is probably not a good idea. And that is the situation they're in. So the IMF has basically made them dependent on their money and then is dictating what policies they have to enact in order to get more of it. But now they don't really have a choice. So yeah, they're kind of screwed. And that's the situation they're in. But I felt like that was a pretty good example of something that I had talked about in the episode on something about uh, corruption and conspiracy in finance, maybe might have been the title of the episode. But I talked about the IMF and these types of situations. So the next two articles are in reference to education. The first one is titled, California Wants to Teach Your Kids That Capitalism is Racist. And so basically, California's education department created what's called the Ethnic Studies Curriculum. And yeah, it's a little interesting. So I'm going to read you a few sections of this article. And it's definitely the article is pretty right leaning. And they're definitely attacking the left leaning California curriculum that's getting put out. But the yeah, just look past the political, definite political views that are here and coming out and just listen to what's actually going on. It's it's still pretty interesting and it does relate to things we've talked about and things I will talk about. So 
the ethnic studies is described in the document as, quote, the interdisciplinary study of race, ethnicity, and indigeneity with an emphasis on experiences of people of color in the United States. It is the study of intersectional and ancestral roots, coloniality, hegemony, and a dignified world where many worlds fit for present and future generations. It is the ex-disciplinary, loving, and critical praxis of holistic humanity. So that's a pretty big jumble of words there, but that that's how the program, the curriculum, describes itself as being that, which seems, yeah, I mean, we kind of get the point, but it's pretty vague and pretty broad and a lot of interesting words in there. So the next part uh, talks about some of the stuff in the curriculum and relating to economics, quote, capitalism is described as a, quote, form of power and oppression alongside patriarchy, racism, white supremacy, and ableism. So that is how they frame capitalism in this curriculum, and definitely not a very positive light there. Uh, later on, the article says, quote, teachers are encouraged to cite the biographies of, quote, potentially significant figures, such as Angela Davis, France Fanon, and Bobby Seale, convicted cop killers, Mumia Abu-Jamal and Asada Shakur are also on the list. Students are taught that the life of George Jackson matters, quote, now more than ever. Jackson, while in prison, became a, quote, revolutionary warrior for black liberation and prison reform. The Latino section's people of significance include Puerto Rican nationalists Oscar Lopez Riviera, a member of a paramilitary group that carried out more than 130 bomb attacks, and Lolita Lebron, who was convicted of attempted murder in a group assault that wounded five congressmen. So basically the curriculum highlights a lot of these people that uh, may not have the best past, um, but it does seem like the person writing this article doesn't really realize the past of their own founding fathers, so yeah, there's that too. But still, probably not a very good thing to be teaching kids about, or at least not from this angle as role models. You might want to let them know that these types of people exist, and these types of activism exist, and this stuff exists in the world, but probably shouldn't put them up on a pedestal as role models per se. So the next part I want to read from the article says, quote, Thinking critically, quote, requires individuals to evaluate phenomenon through the lens of systems, the rules within those systems, who wields power within systems, and the impact of that power on the relationships between people existing within systems. So overall, I actually kind of like this definition because that's kind of the... Uh, frame that I have set this podcast in, especially season one, is we're looking at systems and we're looking through a lens of systems, like this says. We are evaluating phenomenon within these systems. That's kind of what we've been doing. We look at the rules within these systems, like it says. We look at who wields power within these systems. And we look at the impact of that power on the relationships between people existing within the current systems. That really is the whole point of this podcast. And so I do not disagree with this mentality in general. It's just that the problem is that 
it's very obvious that this curriculum is pushing a leftist agenda, a definite politically charged agenda. And it doesn't matter if it was far left or far right. It wouldn't matter either way. The point is that it's political and it's pushing an agenda. And so you have people that are running the system that are creating and pushing curriculum that then critiques the same system. Do you really think that's going to be objective and biased and that kids are actually going to learn to think critically about this stuff? I just really doubt it. It's possible, but eh, very, very unlikely. So the next thing I want to mention is that there is a course entitled Math and Social Justice. And they made a joke on here, quote, will you be graded on having correct answers on the math or politically correct answers on social justice? Good question. We don't know. So the final part I want to read from the article says, quote, this curriculum explicitly aims at encouraging students to become, quote, agents of change, social justice, organizers and advocates, end quote. In the sample unit, teachers are directed to have students plan, quote, a direct action, e.g. a sit-in, die-in, march, boycott, or strike, end quote. So basically the problem here is that it takes the idea of teachers being agents of social change to a step further, and that one step further is to train impressionable minds to become social justice warriors themselves and agents of social change. So I did talk about this concept in previous episodes on how the education system was founded and the philosophies behind that and what some of the goals were by those that were in charge of organizing it and putting curriculum together. And one of those goals was to, and it was explicitly stated, and it is explicitly stated in different areas, that they want teachers to be agents of social change, and that is their role. It's not just that they should be teaching kids and educating kids, it's that they're pushing a political agenda. They are to be agents of social change. But this new curriculum that California is trying to push through uh, directly says that they are trying to get students to become agents of social change and social justice war and all this kind of stuff. So it's a little extreme here that goes a little beyond just a standard education, but that's kind of what we deal with here. So since this article related to a lot of stuff I've talked about, I wanted to highlight that and talk about that. The next section I wanted to read was another article, and I'm actually not going to read anything from it, but the article was titled, Schools Mideast Program Deemed Biased. So imagine that a top university has a program related to the Middle East that has a biased opinion of places like Israel. Oh, what a shock. So basically, the education department ordered Duke and UNC at Chapel Hill, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, to overhaul their, quote, biased curriculum. Basically, the education department pulled federal funds from a $235,000 grant program because they say that the universities have curriculum that put, quote, considerable emphasis, end quote, on positive aspects of Islam, but not Judaism or Christianity. It focused on, quote, advancing ideological priorities, end quote. So basically what's happening here is that these universities are pushing an anti-Israel agenda 
while the feds are pushing a pro-Israel agenda. And so the schools basically just become the ideological battlegrounds with neither side actually truly focusing on an unbiased education for students. Very similar to the previous article that I read before, and very similar content here. It's basically that a lot of people that are in charge and in places of power, more of the elites of the world, they recognize that education is the probably most powerful tool that they have to mold and shape and steer society. And so guess what? They use that tool. What a shock. So that's the situation we're in here. And again, this is a right-leaning article because these all came out of the Wall Street Journal, which in general is more right-leaning. But Again, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's obvious even from this article that they are trying to push a pro-Israel agenda, just like it's obvious the universities are pushing an anti-Israel agenda. Why can't they just teach the positive and negative aspects of Islam, Christianity, and Judaism altogether? Pros, cons, all of it. It doesn't seem like that should be all that hard, but apparently it is. Another aspect from this article is just the fact that the education department is pulling federal funds Uh, related to a grant to the universities. And that's another thing that's similar to the IMF example that I stated earlier, where you have an agency that is giving out money, and then it makes these organizations reliant on that money. And then it uses that money as leverage to get the organizations to do what they want them to do. And that, yeah, you could say that's more like blackmail or bribery, but it's it's something. It exists, and it's not just the IMF with countries. It's also the feds with universities. It's also the feds with states, and it's been used many times before. I'll talk about this a little bit when it comes to vouchers in the next episode on alternatives within the public school system. Some of those alternatives are charter schools and magnet schools, and vouchers can play a role in these types of things. So I'll discuss that then, and that also relates to this concept. So that was all that I had that I wanted to go over. I ran across these articles, like I said, over the past few months, they all weren't out of the same paper. They were out of different ones, different time periods, but I've set them aside and I just thought that they were relevant for some of the stuff that I had been covering, but never really found the time or the place to stick them in. So this update episode seemed like as good of a place as any, especially since two of them are related to education and the next series coming up is on education. Another thing I wanted to mention since the previous series was on blockchain and I totally forgot to mention it during any of those episodes, but I have added some cryptocurrency addresses to the show notes right after the Patreon link. So if you are somebody that is not comfortable or doesn't want to sign up on Patreon and doesn't want to go that route and you would like to still donate and support the podcast financially, you can do so by using cryptocurrencies. I have a Bitcoin address, Ethereum, PIVX, Monero, Arrow, a Nano Wallet, and Zcash, I believe is the other one. But basically, I can put up anything. I have wallets for the majority of all the major coins. So if that is a route that you would like to go, 
feel free to do so. And if you would like to receive some of the perks that the Patreon members get, then you can get all the exact same perks. You just have to give me a way to give them to you. Since you're not using the Patreon platform, send me an email address or somewhere where I can post that stuff for you and send it to you and you can get the extra content that way. And I'm perfectly fine with that. That sounds really good. And if that's something you'd prefer to do, feel free to do so. Again, just communicate that to me. Unless you just want to anonymously put money in my crypto wallets, then you are very welcome to do that as well. But if you want to receive some of the benefits, you'll have to tell me that it was you and how I can get those benefits to you. So that's another option that I have forgotten to mention on the podcast. I added that probably months ago and then just forgot to say anything about it. So that's that. Overall, thank you for our Patreon member. Thank you for all of you who are following on Twitter, for those of you who have posted this podcast and specific episodes on social media. I really appreciate that. Speaking of which, I did post on Twitter the other evening that there was an episode of the Tom Woods show that was all about the Constitution and the question of, was the Constitution a Federalist coup? And so if you have actually listened to all the episodes of this podcast, then you should remember the episode I did that was basically all about the Federalist coup that occurred during the time of the Founding Fathers and the Constitution. So if you enjoyed that episode that I did, then you probably would definitely enjoy the episode that Tom Woods did. His podcast is definitely much more popular and much more polished. And so if that's something that you have interest in, then I highly recommend that you look into that. And along that note, there is a current podcast I'm listening to. I'm in the middle of a series now on the American Revolution. And that podcast is called the Dangerous History Podcast. And it is done by someone who is a self-proclaimed anarchist. So you definitely get an interesting point of view on historical matters. And this series that I'm doing currently on the American Revolution is extremely good. I have really enjoyed it. And so that's another thing I would recommend if you're into that time period of basically the late 1700s when the colonists start to revolt and start to stand up for their own liberties and what was really going on, not the whitewashed version that you get where George Washington is the hero and the founding fathers did nothing wrong and everybody loves them. That's not actual history. So if you want the actual story, then I would recommend the Tom Woods Show episode, the episode I did, and the Dangerous History podcast for a few examples. If you're into books, then definitely Conceived in Liberty by Murray Rothbard, among many others I could recommend. Feel free to email me if you have things that you would like me to recommend as far as different books or podcasts or other resources, and I would be happy to do so. So back to the thank yous. Thank you to those of you who have passed along this podcast by word of mouth and told people about this podcast. Hopefully they have found it as interesting as you did, and hopefully you have enjoyed it yourself as well. So thank you for listening. Thank you if you have left a review or a rating, and if you have not done it, please do that. That is very necessary for a podcast to really get going and to really pick up listeners. So please do that if you haven't already. 
Other than that, just thank you for listening. I appreciate that you listen to this podcast. It's very encouraging to look at the numbers, the download numbers and stuff that has been increasing. It pretty much increases every month. And so I really appreciate you guys that are listening to this podcast, that are hopefully enjoying all of this content. And I greatly appreciate the feedback that I get and the comments that I get when you mainly email me about your opinions and about things you want to hear more about and all this kind of stuff. That is probably one of my favorite aspects of having people that listen to the podcast is getting some of this feedback and being able to incorporate that and mold the podcast around what you guys are interested in. So that's all I've got for today. Come back next time as we start the series on education and alternative movements in the education system. And with that, I'm out. Peace. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.